Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy, the show that talks 100% LA Galaxy soccer. We're glad you could join us. Now it's time to sit back and relax as your hosts navigate through the twisting, turning, but never boring world of the five-time MLS Cup champion, LA Galaxy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Guessman, coming to you on November 16th, the Thursday, November 16th, as we get closer and closer, not really, to the LA Galaxy once again resuming play and getting back into the 2018 MLS season. It's, uh, it's interesting times for the LA Galaxy as they perhaps look at their soon-to-be uh, roster that could be announced here, uh, the cuts made and, and additions made and anything else. Again, just 67 days, that's right, 67 days until the LA Galaxy go back to preseason training. I will, I will keep saying it. I will give you an update on every podcast with exactly how many days are left, so that way you're never left alone. But our last podcast before a little Thanksgiving break, so I'm glad that you could certainly join us. Uh, we're going to have a great guest on coming up. Uh, 442's Paul Tenorio is going to join me in the second segment to talk about MLS rules and get all uh, MLS rules nerds out and talk about, you know, TAM and uh, and free agency and uh, just what the league is doing in terms of rules and how they're going about things. So should be great to have Paul on. First time we'll have him on the podcast. I have a feeling he's going to be an excellent guest. Uh, as you know, we quote him here on the podcast all the time. Uh, but the big news, or at least the only bit of news that we really got out of the LA Galaxy or out of Major League Soccer since the last time I talked to you on Monday night when Kevin Baxter joined me, uh, an interesting podcast podcast, by the way, if you haven't listened to that one, you need to, talking about Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonah, Jonah, uh, Jonathan Do, uh, Dos Santos and, and whether or not they're going to possibly go to Liga MX and, you know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of guessing going on in that and, you know, what has happened in the past and, and what it is. But anyway, I thought it was a fun take, but here's the big news is that we sort, we got a better off season calendar than we have in the past. And this is important because the LA Galaxy with, you know, however many players they end up releasing, getting rid of, and however many players they're going to have to acquire are going to get to acquire players in a bunch of different ways. And those ways are starting very soon. But the, the release of this offseason calendar was really focused around the MLS expansion draft as LAFC obviously prepares for its inaugural season in Major League Soccer, uh, the LA Galaxy's crosstown rivals and, and a formidable uh, sort of opponent, at least in the minds of uh, Angelinos all around. So it's going to be interesting to see how the expansion draft goes, but also, you know, what impact that has on the LA Galaxy. Um, so we got all of that information, but along with that information on the expansion draft, and I will go over some of the rules of that expansion draft before I let you go, um, you know, uh, we also got the off-season calendar, and that really does take us to some of the dates and times that we can expect the LA Galaxy will have to make announcements or at least have to do certain things. So as we got prepared for it, we certainly got, uh, you know, a, a little bit of those dates. Here's the, the important one that you need to know right now. November 27th, that is coming up, not too distant future here. November 27th, 11 a.m. Pacific time. This is the option exercise deadline. Clubs no longer competing in the Audi 2017 MLS Cup playoffs must notify the league office in writing of, one, players who whose options they are exercising, and or two, players who are receiving bona fide offers announced by the teams. All roster decisions will be publicized by the individual clubs. All right, that's the interesting part. Basically, we told you about the five players we already know released, and we've given you some some names of people who could possibly also be released. All right, and, and Kevin and I did that on the last podcast. I don't have to go back over them again. But here's the deal, is that 
it says here that November 27th is going to be the date the LA Galaxy will have to notify the other league of those players whose options they aren't picking up and whose players they are actually giving bona fide offers to. And that really has to do with retaining rights. And we talk about bona fide offers. You offer a player something, and then if they go outside the league or they get transferred somewhere, then you know the LA Galaxy still will hold their rights um, if they were to ever come back into the league. And you can use that for trading and all sorts of stuff. But the important part of this and the part that the LA Galaxy are going to have to live up to Um, Because I don't know if they're very reticent to do so. Um, It says very clearly that all roster decisions will be publicized by the individual clubs. You've already seen a club, I think Orlando already came out and published all of their option option pickups and their declines. Um, So you already know about that. Um, So we'll see if the LA Galaxy also do that. It doesn't say when they have to do it. So we'll see if they decide to publish it right away or if they decide to publish it before November 27th. That's just the drop dead date for all these things. Uh, the next drop dead dates you go over is for December 1st, which is another option exercise deadline for uh, for clubs who are no longer in the MLS Cup playoffs and who got eliminated, so they'll make it. And then, of course, we get into December 10th. Um, so we're actually past MLS Cup now. Okay, so MLS Cup, December 7th. Uh, December 10th, 6 a.m to 10 a.m. is a half-day trade window. So following a three-month roster freeze, remember when we had the roster freeze uh, way back when, uh, the MLS clubs may begin making adjustments to their rosters. This is a four-hour window in which clubs may sign and trade players. All all roster moves will be publicized by the individual clubs. They only give them four hours, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific time, so I guess everybody's getting up early on that day to see if the LA Galaxy go out and make any trades. Um, that'll be that'll be another thing to sort of watch. What is Siggy and, and Kurt Schmidt, what do they have in mind in terms of how they're putting this roster together? We should get an idea on November 27th of which players, uh, the total number of players aren't going to be back, or at least their options weren't picked up um, on that November 27th date. So we'll have a good idea there. But about rebuilding, there's a half-day trade window, so you're going to start seeing that and, and and sort of how that goes. And then that December 10th date gets the MLS Cup participants, the two teams who are in MLS Cup, um, it gets them a chance to also do their option uh, option exercise and deadlines uh, as well. So they'll get that out. Then at 10 a.m. Pacific time on December 10th, the blackout period begins. Uh, this is where clubs may no longer sign and or trade their own draft eligible players until conclusion of the expansion draft. And it is now expansion draft time on December 12th. The 2017 MLS expansion draft will kick off, and we have a whole bunch of rules that we'd like to go over with you right now just to give you an idea. I will tell you right now, the chances that this draft impacts the LA Galaxy are very, very small. Only five players total will be selected from the entire league. All teams will get to protect 11 players. We've known that about that before. That's how it's always worked. You get to protect 11 players. Uh, Generation Adidas and homegrown players will be automatically protected. So any of those homegrown players the Galaxy still have left after they jettisoned everybody, all those players will still be protected. So um, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, designated players, Ramon Alessandrini, Giovanni Dos Santos, Jonathan Dos Santos are not automatically protected. And if they have a a no-trade clause in their contract, the Galaxy will have to use one of their 11 roster spots on those three designated players. Uh, If you don't, then you don't have to protect them. You could technically leave somebody like Giovanni Dos Santos off of the protected list, and then somebody could pick them up. LAFC could decide to try to pick up Giovanni Dos Santos if they wanted to do that, if he he didn't have a no-trade clause in his contract, and we're not sure of that, so I would expect as everybody expects that all three of the Galaxy's designated players will, of course, be protected. Um, 
just because a team protects a player doesn't mean they have to keep them for the following season, so they can still decline to sign them, so that's still sort of things that can happen, but they will protect 11 players, uh, and the most any team can lose is one player. So you're talking about outside of 11 players in your mind that you're thinking of, um, the most that Galaxy can lose is one player. People tend to think that LAFC is going to try to stick it to the Galaxy just to sort of get under their skin already. I don't know if it's going to matter whenever you look at a team that is possibly rebuilding, you know, with 15 players. So there's 15 players. Um, you know, th there's also a deal with international players, as we've talked before. You can't leave all of your international players out there. You have to protect a certain number. So you have to take the total number minus three. And those are the most that you're allowed or and that you and then I think you're that's the most you're allowed to protect. So you basically have to protect up to three or four or five. It, the the international player thing could get a little tricky and I'll take a look at it as we get closer to the expansion draft. For, but for right now just sort of ignore that and look at it. So those are the expansion rule drafts. There's only five players, five rounds. They get three minutes for each pick. It's gonna go pretty quick because I imagine they already know who which players they are. They already know the rules are they're probably just gonna go, oh we pick this player, this player, this player, this and this player. And then you're gonna be done. And that's gonna be it. So the expansion draft, and for as much as everybody's worrying about it, is not a thing, really, in my mind. I think the expansion draft does not impact the LA Galaxy, and if it does, it'll be in a minor way. Um, you know, 80%, almost 80% of teams will not have, a, uh, have a, a player picked from their club. So that's just the math that works there. Um, so anyway, so you go in that, you have the 11 a.m. Pacific time. That expansion draft starts on December 12th. At 1 p.m. Pacific time, free agency opens up, and I'm going to talk a lot about free agency with Paul Tenorio coming up in just a little bit. But anyway, out of contract and option to climb players that were at least 20 years of old during the 2017 season and have at least eight years of MLS service are eligible for free agency. All right, MLS Communications will make the complete list of free agents available on December 10th. So December 10th, we will know what all of the free agents are and where they're coming from so that is that's going to be an important part because i think the la galaxy could be active in free agency it's definitely something to watch with siggy schmidt able to have some clout and pull and kurt schmidt knowing which players they're going to have their eyes on some free agents guaranteed uh we get into the bonus part of the calendar now december 13th this is important the expansion draft not really that important. And again, I think it's going to have minimum impact on the uh, on the LA Galaxy. However, the, the, these other drafts are very important, which is kind of funny that, that I say that, but it, it absolutely is important. The 2017 MLS reentry draft is at 12 p.m. Pacific time on December 15th. Excuse me, I even skipped. December, December 13th, 12.30 p.m. is the 2017 MLS waiver draft. All right, that waiver draft, guess who has the first pick in that draft? The LA Galaxy have the first pick in the waiver draft. So if there are any players that they are looking at in, in terms of the that um, that do not meet the minimum years of service required for reentry draft, don't get lost in the details, or they're not free agency, uh, don't, don't worry about that. But the waiver draft could be a place where the LA Galaxy go in and pick up some players. They will, have, they will know those players. They have an idea, and they get the first pick. They get to pick anybody they want. They are, have that first pick. That's important, okay? So they get to pick cream of the crop if they want them. They can fit them on the thing. It's, it's going to be an interesting... That very well could be one of the first sort of pickups of the offseason for the LA Galaxy is who they pick up in the waiver draft. Then... December 15th, so two days later, December 15th, you get into 12 p.m. Pacific time is the 2017 MLS re-entry draft, and it's the first stage of the re-entry draft. Guess who has the first stage of the re-entry draft first round picked? The very first pick overall, the LA Galaxy. Guess who, guess who gets to pick on December 21st? The second stage of that re-entry draft. Guess who gets to pick first again? The LA Galaxy. There are three drafts. The LA Galaxy will have first pick, cream of the crop, whoever they want. 
of those players that are available in those drafts. That is a huge deal for the LA Galaxy. It's one of the benefits of finishing absolute dead last. If you want a positive, this is the positive. And then, as we all know, the LA Galaxy will go into the MLS Super Draft. And when that Super Draft comes around, although I don't expect, again, a huge impact, but Siggy Schmidt was talking about how the LA Galaxy once built a wonderful team using that MLS Super Draft, using that college draft with Omar Gonzalez and Sean Franklin and AJ De La Garza coming out of those, those positions. He goes, so that, so that Kurt Schmidt is already out there looking at those college players and trying to understand who could possibly be that second overall pick behind LAFC. So again, another opportunity to get some players, but the LA Galaxy, if you want to look at the positives and let's, let's do that for a little bit. Let's take the positives of finishing last as they have the first pick in these drafts. And that's going to be an interesting part of the off season. And again, you're talking about 15 players coming in, maybe a little less than 15 players, but a bunch of players. You need a bunch of bodies in there. So if you can get these bodies, you're going to get the, the the pick of the litter, so to speak, of all of these different drafts that are sort of coming out. And again, with the expansion draft unlikely to affect the LA Galaxy very, very much. I mean, I know a bunch of you say there couldn't possibly be 11 players to protect on this team. So it probably shouldn't matter who is left unprotected and who isn't in that draft. So keep your eye on that. These are important times. Uh, the November 27th date, obviously, that option exercise deadline is the first one you need to keep your eye on. And, of course, right here at Corner of the Galaxy, I will have all that information for you whenever it comes out on uh, on the 27th or whenever the LA Galaxy decide to release it. And I am I am doing my best, and I will make sure that I do my best to uh, to make sure and and we get that list. That's an important list for fans to know. It's an important list for everybody to know. So that's, that's what we got. All right. Uh, let's see. That'll do it for this segment. Let's go ahead and close it out. Whenever I get back, I'm going to be joined by Mr. Paul Tenorio442. Uh, we're going to be talking a whole bunch of fun, uh, uh, nerdy things about rules and targeted allocation money, and uh, I'm sure he's going to be a great guest. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Corner of the Galaxy on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Ready for some more Corner of the Galaxy? Don't forget to head over to the website for all the latest podcasts, news, and more. Visit us online at cornerofthegalaxy.com. Welcome back to Corner of the Galaxy on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Josh, back with you once again. And as promised, uh, I have a wonderful guest who's joining us on the phone. He's one of my favorite writers to cover the league. He writes for 442 and has really kept his eye on a bunch of the quote-unquote fun and exciting rules and acquisition mechanisms we deal with here in Major League Soccer. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Paul Tenorio. Paul, thanks for stopping by, buddy. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, um, you know, let's let's start. This this might be the first time, at least on my podcast, that two MLS rules nerds have, have really been on the show at the same time. Uh, do you actually enjoy getting to know all these mechanisms and different rules or is it tiring and overly complicated for no reason whatsoever? Um, both, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, I, I, I have to admit that I, I do love um, every bit of MLS rules and getting to figure out where the loopholes are, 
um, where, where teams are able to tweak and do things differently to, um, to kind of maximize their, their budget space and to build the best teams possible. And, um, you know, it's kind of been a little bit of my niche in reporting for a while now. I, I, I have to love it. I also think, sure, it's confusing. It can be frustrating at times, not just for me or for other reporters or for the fans, but hey, even to the GMs that I talk to, there are times where they get frustrated, um, you know, whether it's a rule coming in midseason as, as targeted allocation money first did, right. whether it's not knowing what the new rule is going to be. It's, it's, it's all of those things. Yeah, yeah, it is always, and, and it sort of gets me, I, get, I have a lot of the same feedback, that when you talk to the guys who should know, there sometimes can be a lot of vagueness in their answers because they don't always understand exactly what the league is trying to do or how they can manipulate that rule as well. Is that, that, that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's getting to be less so. I, I think the, as the front offices get better um, and the league grows a little bit, I think there's less of that going on. Um, but I do think for a really long time, that's how MLS functioned. And I think for a long time, the league kind of would adjust as they went and kind of realize what teams were taking advantage of, what loopholes they needed to close, what loopholes worked, um, how to tweak rules to make things better. Um, I, right now, I think we're seeing a little bit less of that. I think that the league understands that it needs to have a little bit more of a base of its rules. But I mean, if you if you go look at at my cover photo on Twitter, it is the the first paragraph of the MLS roster and budget guidelines, and I've highlighted um, the line that kind of makes me laugh, which is that the league reserves the right at any time to modify the roster and budget guidelines, create exceptions to the roster and budget guidelines, and or rescind the roster and budget guidelines in the league's sole and absolute discretion. Yes. And that is what the teams get at the beginning of the year. Um, so that just goes to show MLS may be changing, but it's not really changing that much. Yeah, yeah, that's always my favorite part, too. Hey, all this stuff that we wrote down, well, yeah, we can change it at any time. So, you know, just a heads up. That's always fun. All right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the free agency. One of the first things that I really wanted to touch on, uh, it's something I haven't covered a lot in this show, but with the LA Galaxy possibly getting rid of 15 players, as we've certainly heard that they possibly could, uh, the LA Galaxy will be one of those free agent shoppers out there on the market, and there are some big free agents coming up. Free agency obviously was a big deal in the last uh, collective bargaining agreement. We had uh, Todd Dunman, who was part of the, the negotiations with that, come on our show many times during that. And he really talked about the importance of trying to get, uh, you know, free agency done. So they have free agency now, Paul. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of classes go through, but this year it seems like it's a little different, obviously, because some of the bigger names that are coming out. But but what is the big issue with this year's free agency that, that you wrote about? Well, what we're going to see now for the first time is uh, designated players or players who make more than the max budget charge, I should say, that are going to hit free agency. Um, or potentially hit free agency. So we know one for uh, two, actually, for certain, DeMarcus Beasley, Kyle Beckerman, though I think Beasley's number has gone down. So Kyle Beckerman for sure. Mm -hmm. And then if, if options are declined on Kai Kamara and Sasha Kluschen, you'll have three players who make more than the back, max budget charge as free agents. The problem is there's a little bit of a, uh, a line in the CBA that treats these players differently. And essentially the rule in the CBA is if you are a player who makes more than the maximum budget charge, a new team cannot offer you a deal for more than that budget charge, even if they want to. Um, and if they do want to pay you more than the maximum budget charge, the player has to negotiate a new contract with the league and not necessarily the team 
And so the teams are kind of curious, what does that mean? Is it that MLS is going to be able to approve or disapprove contracts? Um, they haven't been able to get a straight answer from the league. I haven't been able to get a straight answer from the league. And so it's left these players and these teams in a little bit of a, uh, a weird situation where they don't know what they can offer to a Sasha question, a player who may have an impact uh, in the Galaxy's free agency search right. um, because they, they don't know what the league is looking for. Yeah, Bruce Arena's great white whale, Sasha Kleshin, tried to get him a bunch of times, never landed him. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce comes back into the league just so that way he can get Sasha Kleshin this time around. But, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, that's that's my good Bruce Arena joke for the whole show here. Um, so, But you, you, you look at this thing. The, the free agency thing, too, is... Yes, there is freedom in movement for players that are over 28 years of age and eight years of service in the league. I mean, there's like, there's some caveats there. You already have to get by in order to just become a free agent. But then when you look at what the restriction is in terms of their salary is to begin with, let's just, just say not even it doesn't even matter where the budget charge is. You're looking at the option decline number being the highest amount of money that basically they can be paid if you're under that max budget charge. So you're talking about guys who necessarily can't move for quote unquote more money, although that option number may be more money. I'm trying not to confuse people here, but Sasha Kleshin is is one that you used an example of, and it's been rumored that his 2018 um, option is a lot more money than what his 2017 was. So if he becomes a free agent, somebody, if he wasn't over the max budget and wasn't sort of subject to some of these rules that we talk about, he could only get up to the max of that that option that he has for on the books for the next year. Is that that's sort of explaining it correctly? Yeah, I believe so. I think there is a, there is a slight increase that the players can be offered um, if they are out of contract over what their previous number was. Now, obviously, the built-in advantage is if they remain on the team where they're currently playing, that team can offer a larger increase right. um, than a, a new team. That's the other caveat to keep an eye But you're right. Um, so it's not just that a team might offer Sasha a, a pay cut that's still over um, the max budget charge. That's not legal according to this rule, but they also can't offer him the increase in his budget uh, or whatever the option was that the Red Bulls have um, because that exceeds what his current salary is and that exceeds the max budget charge. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's already all of these restrictions in place for free agency. Um, and, and I, you can kind of get what the league is going for here. As I kind of wrote, I, I think this was put in place essentially for the free agents who are going to come on the market in two years or could potentially come on the market in two years. That's Michael Bradley. That's Josie Altador. These are guys who are making over $6 million, over $4 million. And I think the league feared the idea, the possibility that a team might be able to simply just offer Michael Bradley $6.5 million again right? without the league having any control of that. And, and they don't want that to happen. Uh, but the problem is it, it impacts more than the Michael Bradleys of the world. Yeah, yeah, it obviously has a far, uh, far-reaching far effects. I, that's one of the questions I sort of have is, with the league having or, or getting to make some of these decisions, at least it seems like they're going to get to make some of these decisions, do we think that the free agent market this year that has some of these big names is going to be, we're going to see a lack of movement because of the uncertainty? Or is it sort of going to be, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead and we'll just figure it out as we go along? Yeah, it'll be the latter. I mean, that's how MLS goes. Um, you know, you know, I, I myself am not going to rest until I get an answer from MLS, despite uh, however many phone calls and emails and text messages they want to ignore from me. Um, I fully intend to get an answer, you know, ahead of the, the scouting combine in January. I think it's important for all of us to know exactly what's going on as we observe the league. And I think it's important for fans to know. 
I think that they'll be as vague as they can be, but certainly they're going to have to come to answers with the teams at some point and describe what they're looking for and how those deals are going to be negotiated. And, and I think the players are going to demand that too. I mean, if you're Sasha question, you're probably already calling the league or having your agent call in the league and say, this is not okay. Right. Um, I need to be able to start to settle my future. So I, I think, I think there will be an answer eventually. I just think there's so many questions that are in the air right now for MLS right. um, that they're just kind of avoiding answering any of them. Yeah, and, and talk about maybe a, another story that you've been covering and doing a wonderful job on and, and have been on since the very beginning and we've been talking about on the podcast quite a bit is the targeted allocation money and the possibility of TAM getting increased for 2018 and, and sort of the different ways and, and the different amounts that uh, seem to be talked about out there. I mean, we, we know that, uh, and we've heard this rumor to start out, and you were probably the first one to bring the rumor out at the beginning, was that up to possibly $2 million more of targeted allocation money could be available to each team in 2018. Um, but there seems to be some disagreement on what that number wants to be or could be. And in in rare form, Paul, this hardly ever happens when we're talking, but we're actually talking about, if I read your article correctly, the league versus the owners and the difference of opinion there. Most of the time, I tend to think they ha- they are of the same mind, but there seems to be a little bit of a, a tug and pull here, is there? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the way the league is going to be going forward. I'll start by saying, you know, I first heard whispers of this increase in TAM at the very beginning of this season, probably dating back to actually definitely dating back to last year's combine already at that point, there was a talk of an increase. And originally the number I was hearing was $800,000 of an increase in TAM going into 2018. So when I first started to hear that 2 million number um, and I heard it from more than one general manager I was speaking to, I kind of said, you know, I think whoever you're talking to, is hearing it wrong. I think they're just they're hearing two million and they don't realize it's just an increase in eight hundred thousand from one point two million and that equals two million. Right. But over the last few weeks, that that was like I was told, no, you're wrong. It's <laughs> two million more. And what we're seeing is there is finally a deep divide between owners. Mm-hmm. For a really long time in this league, there was the old school owners of MLS who feel like they have. They had invested a lot of money in the league in the early days. They kept it afloat, and they don't want to have to spend more money than they want to spend or that they have to spend, which is what's written into the CBA. Everything that's happening with TAM is above and beyond the CBA. So every dollar of TAM that comes into the league is more money than the owners have to spend. The difference is now there's a whole crop of owners that wants to spend more. Mm -hmm. They want to move this league forward. Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, New York. LA. Um, those are the teams that are pushing for change and those owners are starting to gain more power. And that's where this battle is being waged right now. And I think that's why nobody can get a straight answer because the league is trying to kind of mitigate these, these problems and solve how much time they're going to bring in. And then the big question is, how are they going to bring it in? And the the word, the key word when it comes to that is discretionary because that's a game changer for the league. Yeah, that's the that's the main part of this. This That's the really important part whenever I sit here and look at it is a discretionary, meaning that owners do not have to spend it if they do not want to spend it, which means 
possibly, and, and I agreed with sort of your premise in your article, is does this open up a divide between the teams that want to spend it and don't want to spend it? I mean, that's, that could be a huge issue for the league going, you know, into sort of this next phase, this next expansion phase. You know, what kind of league do they want to become? Um, all of these things. I mean, what do you think of whenever you hear the word discretionary in that and, and the amount of $2 million? Yeah, I mean, obviously the owners will have an option of how much they want to buy up to two million. So it's not that every team that chooses not to spend that money is going to be down two million over the teams that choose to maximize it. It's that it can be as much as two million or anything in between. But I'll sum it up the way one GM who I'm already laughing at myself remembering this conversation, one GM who worked for an owner who may be on that side of the table that doesn't want to spend. And when I told them about the, the conversations regarding discretionary, um, his response was, oh, crap. So, you know, certainly it, uh, it, it, it's not good for those teams in the sense of they are, they're going to be at a disadvantage. They're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. Um, the, the question is, is that a bad thing for the league? In my opinion, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. You know, this league is not going to move forward unless you start to force some of these owners to make a choice, um, a choice to either spend more money and push the league forward and grow along with the league instead of trying to hold it back or to get out and sell to an owner who is willing to spend that money or has that money to spend. This is only going to happen if uh, these owners in the league force the issue. And ultimately what we've seen from the first 1.2 million in TAM is that it does make the league better and so it's very difficult to argue against it. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing about uh, targeted allocation money is that, yes, it has made the league better, but what it's also allowed teams to do is really go out to the international markets and bring in more international players. And I wonder, with this additional, if there is an additional $2 million, which gives you a total of $3.2 million overall, um, you know, are the, is it going to be the same thing? Is it going to be more international players, or are you going to see more investment? And I'm not saying there's been none, but more investment in that targeted allocation money in some of the domestic players that are around, the ability to give some of these guys a raise. Because I, I kind of see, you know, the continued, we're going to keep bringing in international players, keep bringing in international players as, as a good way if you want to move the league forward in terms of... Um, you know, in terms of overall uh, the product on the field, because certainly you're, you're getting a bunch of, you know, really talented players now coming into the league from overseas or from uh, South America or Central America, and that's really exciting. But, you know, what is that doing to the domestic players as well? Because they're not usually the ones that are seeing a whole bunch of this TAM money. Well, I, I haven't updated this number recently, and I should, because the names are public on MLS's website of, of players who are, uh, TAM players. But at the beginning of the year, I went and went through the rosters and called GMs to confirm their TAM players. And what I came up with was at that time, early in the year, um, there were 45 players that were TAM players that were international players. There were only 14 that were American. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's earlier in the year. It's not too different than what DPs are. At that point in the year, there were 40 international DPs. There were just nine American DPs. What, what's different about TAM is you have to remember TAM is opening budget space. Mm -hmm. And so for every player that's brought in with TAM, there is a trickle down effect that impacts American players. And, you know, it's not just the Darlington Nagbys and the Matt Beaslers and, um, you know, the Dax McCarty's of the world who are able to get a pay raise because TAM exists. It's also players like Greg Garza. um, And, and I mean, name a 250,000 or $300,000 American player in MLS and they're a benefit, they're a beneficiary of TAM because 
that trickles down. There, there is more cap space for teams to be able to afford those players because Tam buys down cap numbers. Right. And so I, I think it's very difficult to just kind of say, well, if, if there are 45 international Tams and 15 American Tams, it doesn't benefit American players at all because I don't think that reflects the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I do think there needs to be a change in how teams think about Tam players and kind of what the process is to sign a Tam player. Because certainly I think the system is broken in that I think the minimum that a TAM player makes is too low. And that's causing instances where we see a team going and signing a player who is potentially a $300,000 player and they're signing them on $600,000 so that they can buy because the player really wants 400,000 and they really want that player on $300,000 on their cap. And so what's the easiest way to do it? Well, let's pay them six and buy them down with 300 of TAM, and now we have the cap charge we want. That's not a good thing for the league, and it's especially not good because that only happens with international players because you have to get approval from the league if an American player is a TAM player, and you don't necessarily need that approval with Americans. So when you see a guy like a Jay Simpson that's a TAM player, and you're saying, how is that happening? Well, it's happening because they want to get him on a certain budget number, and the best way to do that is to use TAM to buy him down. Well, the other part of the uh, targeted allocation money in the increase is possibly an increase in the cap. Right now, all TAM players have to be under a million dollars, $999,999.99 to be exact. Uh, they want to raise that cap to just under the $1.5 million. Um, is that a good move? Should it be higher? If you're going to give these guys $2 million in TAM, do you want them to spend $1.5 million of it on, on a single player? Because, uh, you know, that's sort of what you're allowing them to do. Yeah, I mean, I think I think going to that $1.5 million number is just fine because if they now have $3.2 million in TAM to spend, um, you're talking about buying a guy down to under 500000 from one point five. So $1 million of that TAM would be spent on one player approximately. And then you'd still have, uh, you know, what, $2.2 million worth of TAM to spend. That's enough to to buy three or four more players, 800,000 is more than it's a million dollars more than what teams have right now. Um, and so for me, the bigger thing is if they're going to move the cap up to 1.5 million, I think they should consider bumping the, the basement of that up as well. Bump that floor up to, you know, 700,000, 750,000. The, the problem I think that the union would see is like, will you start to see fewer American players making that $500,000 number right. uh, if that happens? We just don't see enough Americans that are making in the range of 700000 I think that's why they won't do it, and I, I will continue to see players that don't deserve to be TAM coming in. But I think ultimately what you want to happen with TAM is you want to get closer and closer to having essentially a fourth DP on the roster, right? And right. Um, that's what we're seeing with a lot of these players, and I think – the, the higher that number goes, it, it opens up a whole new door for certain players, not just players who make one and a half million in salary, but players who are making, I don't know, 600, 700, 800 in salary, but demand a three or $4 million transfer fee that you can spread out over the life of the contract. So I'll give you an example. Leandro Gonzalez Perez makes what, 250, 275,000 for Atlanta. He's a TAM player. He's making closer, well, with his transfer fee, his cap hit is, from what I've heard and been told through the league sources, um, it's been, you know, it's closer to, um, uh, let's figure the best way to put it. Let's just put it this way. It's over the max budget charge. Right. Um, 
So he's a TAM player, and but look at the quality that he brought to the league. Now take another step up. And I think that's why going to one and a half million to TAM is effective. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, in Paul's article, the important number that you now need to learn for 2018 is 504,375. That is your 2018 max budget charge instead of the uh, 48625 in 2017. So uh, that's increased for all of your fun at home uh, salary cap uh, trading and moving around and stuff that, of course, everybody does, including Paul and I and everybody else at home, I'm sure. So, uh, so Paul, I mean, it, you know, you look at both the free agency, you look at all these things, and, and I've talked previously about the home grown uh you know uh, contracts are, are the homegrown players and the ability to keep uh more of the transfer fees and all these things is mls headed in the right direction in trying to update some of these rules and maybe you know throw some more money into the pot here i think so ultimately the most important thing mls is going to have to start to recognize and what the owners are starting to say is you want us to invest all this money in our academies and it's costing teams two million two and a half million a year to run fully funded academies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when they sell players, they're not getting enough return on the investment. And so in order to stimulate that economy, they're going to have to change these rules. And that, that includes, uh, you know, incentivizing homegrown players by allowing teams to keep a hundred percent of those transfer fees, increasing that cap from transfers from 650,000 to whatever the number will be that hasn't been decided yet. And I think what that does is now you have owners in Salt Lake city in Kansas city, that are going to be able to start to compete because allocation money is the golden ticket in MLS. Roster space, budget space is what matters most in MLS. And if you can consistently have a team that's a million, uh, 800,000, a million, million two over a normal budget roster space, you're going to be competitive in this league. And for those ownership groups, this is the way forward. This is the way to add that money into the pot. Um, I think it's absolutely the right step. I think what the league has failed to recognize is that Fighting against being a selling league is is holding MLS back. Mm-hmm. If they start to sell players and those players start to compete in Europe and succeed in Europe, that's only going to grow the reputation of MLS, and it's going to grow and enhance that reputation faster than anything MLS does within its own borders here. Um, people need to see that they can get quality out of MLS, that there are quality players in MLS. That's what's going to start changing opinions overseas and, um, you know, I hear that from players who have played overseas. I hear that from agents who have dealt with teams overseas. Um, and, and I think MLS maybe, maybe just maybe, at least some owners in MLS and some GMs in MLS are starting to convince uh, the headquarters, in, you know, in New York that this is the right way forward. And I think it's going to be a really important step if it starts to happen in these next few months uh, and in this next season. Well, it's all all interesting stuff. We'll get to keep an eye on it, of course. Uh, go follow uh, Paul on Twitter. Paul, what's your uh, Twitter handle? I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, at Paul Tenorio. Uh, last name is T-E-N-O-R-I-O. I'm always trying to tweet out as much stuff as I can. And, and uh, you know, of course, at 442USA as well. Uh, my employer, because all my colleagues do great, great work as well. Yeah, we have Scott French on the show on a regular basis. Paul does an excellent job. I'm glad we could have him on. Paul, thank you so much for uh, for staying up a little late and uh, and joining us on the podcast. And I'm sure we'll have you on again real soon. If you if you keep having me talk about all these uh, dorky salary rules, I'm on anytime, and I love doing it. Oh, awesome, Paul. Thanks so much. All right, there goes Paul Tenorio, 442 USA. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Paul Tenorio. Uh, A great guest, a lot of interesting stuff to sort of digest there. I hope we didn't put anybody to sleep. 
I, my heart rate is racing because that's that's exciting stuff for me right there. Um, but it, I want you to get an idea. And Paul certainly is an expert, and you know I trust everything he says, and he's an excellent reporter. So really dig in deep and, and try to dissect what what he and I talked about there because I think it'll help you it'll sort of explain MLS in a, in a little little bit better way, um, just to understand what they're going through and what they're trying to do, what their objectives are, and what the team's objectives are. And, you know, I mentioned it with Paul. It's not always clear. I have had talks and, and, and on more than one occasion with front office personnel who go, yeah, I, I don't exactly know how that works. I, I think the best thing is, you know, the international player loaning down to uh, being able to loan an international player down to L.A. Galaxy 2. So that way you could then open up an international slot. Right. That was something. I tweeted it out. I got told by somebody in the front office. I talked. We got it done. I found out the acquisition and how it was going to be made. And I told and I tweeted out that the LA Galaxy will be able to loan down a player down to you know the USL level and basically open up an international spot. And that's how they're able to bring in another international because at one point there were some questions there. I tweeted that out. Not fewer. I'll just say two team accounts. Two people who I know at different teams around the league tweeted me, DM me, and said, that's not how that works. And I said, no, it is going to be how it works. You guys are going to have to catch up on this. That's how it works now. You know, and I go, I was specifically told this. And they're like, nope, we know that's not how it works. You're going to be wrong. You might want to delete the tweet, the whole deal. I held strong. A week later, I got it back. And both of those teams were like, oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's how it works now. We didn't know. The, the rules have changed, apparently. You know, there you go. The LA Galaxy just changed the rules again. So those types of things happen. They change. All those things can happen. And as Paul rightly pointed out, the league decides can decide to change its mind at any time. And so, I don't know. In a little way, that's what makes MLS fun. But, you know, Paul's doing a great job to try to bring some transparency to the process. So, uh, we, you know, we certainly appreciate him doing that. And I think for sure we will have him back on the show anytime there's a rules-related sort of a question there. So he was great. Uh, thanks again, Paul, for coming on. We appreciate it. All right. I think that'll about do it for us here on Corner of the Galaxy on an off-season edition. Uh, again, uh, no shows coming up this next week because it's Thanksgiving break, all right? So no shows on Monday, no shows on Thursday, but we will be back uh, very soon, right after the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, to make sure that we get you all your Galaxy news on anything that is picked up, all right? Uh, yeah, so that's it. I hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Enjoy time with friends and family. Maybe try to forget about soccer for a little bit unless you're following MLS playoffs. So all that fun stuff, of course, uh, be safe, and, and we'll see you here whenever it comes back. All right. Uh, once again, thanks to Paul Tenorio from 442. Uh, and I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a very, very happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.